Matthew chapter number 28. Brother Wayne said, he told me before, he's like, brother, they, they're not going to remember your messages. You can preach some that you preached previously. And so he just proved that point. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28. We'll begin reading in verse number 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this evening. God, we pray that you'd please speak to our hearts. Help us, God, to to wake up, God, uh, know that it's been a long day for many. I pray that you'd help us to just, uh, you'd just stir us up this evening, help our minds to be attentive, our hearts to be receptive, and that your word would find fertile ground, Lord, and that you would bring change in our life, help us to be convicted and challenged and stirred up, and God, obedient to what your word has for us this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message this evening maybe we'll win the book tomorrow night, is how do we follow our resurrected Lord? How do we follow our resurrected Lord? In this passage that we just read, the disciples we find in verse number 17, if you'll look at it again, it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They're doing two things here. They're worshiping and some were doubting. Let me ask you this evening, which is dominating your life? Worship or doubt? Worship here means to kiss like a dog licking its master's hands. There's a, there's a book called Cat and Dog Theology. And in that book, uh, the, the idea behind the book is a cat says, you love me, you feed me, you care for me, I must be God. You know, just like Satan, right? That's what cats are like. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm allergic to them, so I'm just, your dog lover, you dog lovers out there, you know how loyal your dogs are. They love licking your hands, they, you love them, you feed them, you care for them, and in a sense, they think you are God. As we as Christians were to look and to, to love and to have the loyalty to, far more for Christ, worship for our master than a dog does for his master. I heard a definition, I, I really like it, of worship, I've kind of mentioned it in previous messages, and that is that worship is extravagant love, meaning that it's displayed in a way incomparable to anything or anyone else in your life. And it is also extreme submission, extravagant love, extreme submission, meaning nothing is too much to ask of you. That is worship. So some were worshiping here, others some of, the, those, those, some of those disciples also were, were doubting, the Bible says, and some doubted. 
And here that word means to waver. It, the basic sense is uncertainty. There was a hesitation about the disciples, some of them. Some doubted. This was the 11. They, they loved Jesus. We know they loved Jesus. But there was some doubt in their hearts. They saw him. They had known him before his death, burial, and resurrection. They ate with him. They left all to follow him, right? They saw him do miracles. They even did miracles by his power. They looked forward to his imminent kingdom and reigning with him. But then he died, and they were devastated. But now he's risen. And here's the hesitation. Here's the uncertainty. Here's the doubt. What does this mean? What now, Lord? This is the uncertainty and the hesitancy that they were experiencing. My son, Hudson, he loves it when I talk about him up here, is learning to play football. He plays rugby in South Africa. Big difference. Rugby's for, uh, it's a girl's sport in South Africa, and no, I'm just kidding. And uh, it's football without pads, all right? It's a, it's a man's, manly man's sport. Rugby's a, a great sport. But Hudson's learning to play football. He's doing great, but sometimes, as a linebacker, he's hesitant because there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to reads to make and all these different things, and it's, it's a total new sport to him as compared to rugby that just is nonstop. And his coaches are trying to help him get over his hesitation by removing the uncertainty as to what he is supposed to be doing in the game. Follow me. Jesus here follows the disciples' doubt and worship that is in their hearts, and he knows it's there, and he speaks these words on purpose, and he speaks the most powerful and short and clear and definitely important messages for the church to hear. And here's the reason why. It's to clear up it's to clear up our doubt. It's to clear up the uncertainty about the disciples' mission, our mission. And it's to take away all hesitation about what we're supposed to be doing next and now. That is the context of what we call the Great Commission of the church. So how do we follow the risen Lord? Are we going to live in uncertainty or in real worship of him, in clear obedience to his commands? For that to happen, I want to give you three things that we must do. Number one is to respect his authority. Number two is to respond to the word go. And number three is to recognize the job description he's given. First of all, respect his authority. In verse number 18, Jesus says, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He wants you to know this. He wanted his disciples to know this, but he wants you to know this today. There are no closed countries to the God of heaven. There is nothing on this earth that we are to fear. God told us to fear no man, but to fear the one that has power to cast a man into hell. Jesus has all power in heaven and and on earth. He knew what the disciples were thinking in their hearts. 
He knew they loved him. He knew they were worshiping him, but he also knew there was doubt in their hearts. And the way that Jesus would remove that doubt was by telling them, I have all authority. He met their inner thoughts with a clear message. His words to his disciples are his words to his church today. They are his words to you. The disciples, listen, were to teach believers in churches, says in the passage, all things that Christ commanded them, and that goes all the way down to us today. So these words of Christ to remove the doubt and uncertainty in the disciples' hearts are his words to us today that Jesus has all power, all authority, and we need to respect his authority. He has all power. It's given unto him as Lord, Savior, King of kings. And by the way, this is a good reference for the deity of Christ. Who else has all power in heaven and in earth? God does. All of it. Any authority on this earth, government, church, is ultimately derived from the God of heaven. All of it. You say, well, what about this? All authority in heaven and in earth is God's, is Jesus' authority. Men may have it here on earth and they may abuse it here on earth, but they will give account for it one day before the one with whom, from whom it came, Jesus Christ. Jesus has all power, so when we call him Lord, we need to keep that in mind. His will takes priority over everyone else's will. His word is final. You take the owner's word, right, over the manager's word. You take a father's word over the child's word. And you take the king of kings' words over anyone else's words upon the face of the earth. Jesus is risen now. And as Adrian Rogers said, he died to claim me as Lord, and he lives to control me as Lord. And he deserves that place in my life because he has all authority. Do you respect God's authority? The uncertainty in your heart, the doubt in your heart, the wondering in your heart as to what you might do with your life and how you might live your life, it needs to be brought into submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because he has all authority even over your life. Which category do you fall into this evening concerning the power and the authority of Jesus Christ? Jesus assures his disciples who had just three days prior seen their Lord be murdered in the most heinous way. He's now telling them that he has all power in heaven and in earth. And he's embracing their worship and he's seeking to remove the doubt and uncertainty by first of all telling them of his authority. Let me ask you this evening, who has the loudest voice in your life? Who has the most influential voice in your life? Is it your own? Is what you think and what you say and what you want the most influential voice in your life? Paul said, I, I beat my body into subjection. He would not live by the flesh. Paul did not live by his own wants. For him to live was Christ and to die is gain. Who has the most influential voice in your life? Is it you? Is it your kids? Is it your friends? Is it a news source? Is it the pressures of society? should be the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He is removing the, the doubt and uncertainty in their hearts, first of all, by telling them of his authority. And when that's going to take place in our life is when we begin to respect his authority. Secondly, when we respond to the word go. There in verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In other words, all systems are go now. This phrase, all systems goes, means an activity or event can now begin because everything is ready. All requirements have been fulfilled to get started. This idiom originated during the space race during the 60s and was first used to refer to the systems that controlled the launching of rockets. All systems go meant that the systems needed for takeoff had been evaluated and approved, which meant the rocket was ready for liftoff. When Jesus is delivering this message here and he says, go into all the world, in, in essence, he's saying, all systems are go now. You remember times in his life where he told people, don't go tell anyone. Be quiet about this. Uh, don't tell anyone. He would command them to do that. That's not what he's saying now. Jesus is saying, it is finished. Go into all the world and tell everyone. What Jesus, what I've done for their sins, tell them that reconciliation has been made between ungodly men and a holy God. That a perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, has been slain and he has taken away the sins of the whole world. And now there's a way of peace and salvation that has been made simply by grace and by faith for anyone that would call upon his name. Go into all the world. All systems are go. We need to respond to the word go. The gospel or good news was ready. It was finished. It was ready to be taken into all the world. As one preacher said, the motive of the church is the glory of God. That's what we want, right? We're, we're here, we're meeting, and we want to glorify God. When we sing, we want to glorify God. When we work, we want to glorify God. When we preach, we want to glorify God. When we, when we, when we uh, go out into the highways and byways, we want, we want God to be glorified, glorified. Our motive is the glory of God. But the mission of the church and the way to bring and to multiply the glory that we want to bring to God is by going for God, to make disciples of all nations so that the whole world would know that there's a God and it's the God, it's the God of heaven. And his name is Jesus. And that they might call upon his name and those that would, would glorify him and worship him might be multiplied. One preacher said that every time we lead another sinner to Christ, we add another verse to that hallelujah chorus. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound or increase to the glory of God. Can I tell you this evening that there are many in South Africa because some chose to give to Faith Promise Missions and because many chose to pray for missionaries in South Africa and some chose to go to South Africa that the glory of God has been multiplied in South Africa. Can I tell you, the idea behind Faith Promise Missions is to get behind the Howards so that some Mormons in Utah 
would come to find the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of our God, the mission of our church would be fulfilled out there by him going to Utah and some of those people getting saved and the glory of God being multiplied upon this earth and in Chile as well. Are you worship, a worshiping disciple, actively participating in the mission to go into all the world with the gospel? Or are you a doubter, living in perpetual uncertainty as to what Jesus would have you to do? Do you know that all systems are go because Jesus finished it? The great work of redemption on the cross. We can go into all the world because we have his authority. We can go into all the world and preach the good news because it's finished. The poorest of the poor can be saved because it's by grace. My dad is a builder. Some of you know him, and he was building a house one time, and he told me he had hired a guy. It was actually family. They tell you not to hire family. It wasn't me. It was my brother. No, I was kidding. And he had left the guy to do a simple job, a simple job that wouldn't have taken him very long at all. He ran to the store, he was going to grab some supplies, it took longer than he thought it would. He comes back hours later, and the guy that he had left there to do a simple job and showed him what to do was still standing there staring at the place and the job that my dad had left him there to do. My dad fired him immediately on the spot. I can't, think, I can't help but think of Acts 111, which says, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven so sh shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Friend, there's no reason. We have no valid excuse for just standing by. We have no valid excuse for uncertainty or doubt in our hearts. Jesus cleared that up in Matthew chapter 28. He tells us of his authority and he tells us to go. The way we follow our risen Lord is by responding to the word go. How are you responding to the word go that he says here in this chapter? How are you personally? What is the excuse? What is the reason? What is the answer in your heart? What have you talked to God about when he says to go into all the world and reach every creature with the gospel? What have you said to him? When that verse speaks to your heart, when you hear that verse read, and he says, go into all the world, what do you say back to God this evening? What have you told God in the past? If you can't go physically, if you really can't go, if you're, if you're here and, and, and there's, you, you've tried to go, maybe, maybe whatever reason, you can't go. Are you going and you're giving? Does your faith promise does it, does it scream that you believe that the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth? Do you pray for your missionaries that God would help them in the places that you can't go, that they would reach people with the gospel, that God would be with them? Do you, do you realize that when these missionaries go into these fields, they got a target on their back? Many of these places are strongholds of Satan. I honestly, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not one of those, uh, you know, I had a babysitter one time. She'd cast out demons while we were, I think she was 
casting me and my brother out, but she'd cast out demons in her house. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I'd never seen anything like that before. But I'm not one of those people that read into everything demonic activity. But I can tell you that when I go to the mission field, many times it feels like I got a load on me. And I appreciate, I appreciate more than the dollar, I appreciate the prayers of God's people. Do you pray for your missionaries? As God says here, in, in light of this word, go. So the second thing we need to do to follow our risen Lord is to respond to the word go. And thirdly, we need to recognize his job description that he's given. Look at verse number 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know, one of the most frustrating things that I've experienced in my life, especially as a young person, was being hired to do a job, but not really knowing what was expected of me, what I was supposed to do. I can remember as a young man, as a young person, not knowing what was expected of me uh, or how to do the job that I was given and frustrated myself, and I could feel the frustrations of the one that had hired me. Then, and went off to college, and I, uh, we, we were needing a job. It was actually uh, Nathan Gregory, myself, and another young man. Uh, and uh, so we just looked in the newspaper. We found an advert, an advertisement for construction. And my dad's a carpenter, so I thought it said they needed experienced carpenters. I had no experience, but I felt like there was this connection between me and my dad in some way that would, that would just transfer over and I wouldn't be lying if I showed up as an experienced carpenter because I knew one. I was kin to one. And so we showed up, and, man, we, we made a mess of things. But this guy was gracious with us. He was patient with us. He taught us things. He showed us what he wanted done. He explained the expectations that he had for us, and we learned things. And by the end of it, we were making him a lot of money, and we were in, even enjoying what we were doing. We don't have to guess as Christians as to what our job is. Jesus left the instructions. Read the verse again. This is what he wants done. Look at verse number 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Back in verse 19, he tells us to go and to teach. Teach them. And once they have believed to baptize them, and once they are baptized to continue on teaching them. We go into all the world by his authority and teach them the gospel, baptize them as followers, and follow up with more teaching. That word in verse 19 that says teach actually means to make disciples. It, it means that they don't just need to hear the gospel, uh, that, their, that their sins are forgiven, but they need to grow and to learn to live like Jesus and serve Jesus in his missions. Let me ask you this this evening. We send missionaries. This is, this is what we do as missionaries. We go to the field and we are disciple makers. And, and churches actually are fruit of disciple making. As we go out and win people to Christ and we gather people together, there's a church is born. And God builds his church. But let me ask you this this evening. Has anyone been saved? Has anyone been baptized? And is there anyone now serving in the church because you took Christ's command seriously? Have you ever taught a younger lady or a younger man how to follow Jesus? You can go read Titus chapter 2. This is actually the Bible way. 
that the older ladies would teach the younger ladies. Maybe that's not necessarily even age. Maybe it's maturity in Christ. But you teach someone behind you. It's a real tragedy when a Christian has heard so much truth, so many lessons, so many messages, has got so much truth in their hearts and in their minds, and they die with that. It's like a person hoarding up treasures, and instead of leaving it and, and, and giving it to grandchildren and, and different projects and things, dying with that, and then the government just gets it. You as a person, you've heard so much. You are steward of the riches of Christ. And it is a shame that you would die and there would not be someone that has come to know Christ because of you. Someone that has not followed the Lord in baptism because you shared with them how important that is. Someone that is not giving and faithful to church and even serving in the church because you, God used you to see that person discipled. You know, I, I think I told this story previously, but there's a young man in South Africa. His name is Damien. And when I got to South Africa this past term, Damien is one of those guys who just kind of follows you around. You can't get rid of him. He's like a stray dog. You can't get rid of him. And he just wants to serve the Lord with his life. So we started meeting every Thursday. And uh, we would pray together. We'd read books together. All these different things. And I told Damien, we had prayer list. We would pray over every week. And I told Damien, I was like, I said, Damien, you need to get some disciples. But I'm looking at Damien. Damien, there's nothing spectacular about him. Uh, if, he's going to listen to this message, so I'm going like, to have to lie a little bit. He's a good-looking guy. He's, uh, he's got a great physique, all this. No, whatever. He's, he's, a fool, he's, he's, he's one of the foolish things of the earth, just like I am. There's nothing spectacular about Damien. And I'm thinking, what is going to draw people to Damien? What is going to draw people to follow Damien? I don't know how this is going to happen. But I know our Lord has commanded us to do this. And I know in Damien's heart, he wants to do this. So all I knew to do was to start praying about it. Damien, you need to get some disciples. And we started praying about it. And just praying about it, praying about it. Before I left this term, some of the sharpest young men that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting had followed the Lord in baptism, had come to know the Lord as their Savior, had followed Him as baptism, and baptism, were faithful to church, and God had even stirred their hearts up to preach the Word of God. If God can do that through Damien, God can do that through any person in this room. So I just, I just don't know that that can happen. I just, I just don't see it. I'm telling you, just start praying about it. Every day, repeatedly throughout the day. God, I know I know you've given us a job description. I know it's to make disciples. God, I want to be a disciple maker. God, give me some disciples. Allow me to see someone come to Christ. Allow me to pour my life into someone. They may already be saved. It might already be someone in the church that maybe they've been saved, but they just don't have a clue about the Christian life. And they just need an older lady, a more mature lady to come alongside them and love on them. Maybe to buy them a Bible. Buy them a meal. Inconvenience yourself just a little bit. Invite them into your life. Let them see your home. 
Maybe they don't even know what a, a mom and dad look like together. Maybe they don't even know what a home looks like. You say, well, our home's not perfect. They, it doesn't matter. They need to see the imperfections too. They need to see what a Christian man is like. Even though you're not perfect, Christian woman is like. Need somebody just to teach them to read their Bible every day. You don't have to be Spurgeon. You don't have to be a theologian. Just someone to, hey, let's read our Bible together. Did you get anything out of that? No? Me neither. How about we memorize this verse together? Maybe we meditate upon it. You don't have to be a rocket science to do this stuff. God knows your IQ. It doesn't remove His command. He's given the job description. Are you avoiding it? Let me ask you a question. If you hired me to paint your house, you, pick, you take the time to go to Home Depot or Sherwin-Williams or whatever, and you pick the color. You can't wait. You leave for a few days, and you can't wait to see the transformation. But upon your return, you come into your living room and you see that I've painted a mural of a unicorn. Are you going to appreciate my creativity? Or are you going to be very mad at me? And I'll just tell you that halfway through, I just thought, man, this is just too bland. I just, I, I'm not, I wasn't feeling it. It was unexciting. It needed something, needed something. And that unicorn my daughter loves unicorns, and I just thought you need a unicorn in your living room. Would you appreciate my creativity or be irate with my disregard for your clear instructions? What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm busy. I'm doing a lot of stuff. Where's your disciples? Where's a person that's been saved by the same grace that you received? Where's a person that knows how to read their Bible or is reading their Bible because you taught them to read their Bible? You encouraged them to read, your, read their Bible. Where's a person that has started praying because you showed them how to pray? Where's someone sitting in the church pew because you stayed on to come to church? Where's that person that followed the Lord in baptism because you explained to them, this is how we identify as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. You can do it. Young and old. There's nobody in this room that can't do it. You can do it. You can do it. The world says, save the world, so feed them. Give them clothes. Dig wells for them. Build schools. Show them how to farm. Give them money. I had a guy actually in South Africa leave the church because preaching the gospel and discipling young men was just not sexy enough for him. He wanted us to teach them how to garden. So he left our church. All those things are good things. They're wonderful things. But Jesus did say we would always have the poor with us. The way we really bring change in this world that is earmarked, reserved for fire, is by soul winning and discipleship. It's more costly. It's more time consuming. It's uncomfortable because you can't just open your checkbook. You have to open your life up to another human being. It takes time to see spiritual results. It's more glamorous to see a new pair of shoes on a kid. And you might do a lot of that stuff. But your goal 
The end goal is not shoes on a kid. The end goal is not food in someone's belly. The end goal is not a house. The end goal is none of these things. I've done all these things in South Africa. But the end goal is that there would be a young man, there would be a young lady that knows Jesus and knows how to follow him. And when I leave, they're going to be faithful to church. When missionaries go to the field, when I go to the field, when these missionaries go where they're going, when I go to the field, when I land in South Africa, I've got four years. The, the clock's ticking. There may, I, we're probably going to try to get a lot of people together, but the, a lot of people is not my goal. We're going to feed some people. We're going to have some meals together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to purchase some things for some people. There's going to be all kinds of money spent, all these sorts of things. But my goal is that there would be a young man, maybe by God's grace a couple young men, that know the Lord Jesus Christ, have followed him in baptism, are faithful to church, are giving of their own finances, have, are learning the word of God and God has touched their heart to preach the word of God and have gotten them some instruction in how to teach the word of God and how to preach the word of God so that when I leave, there's not just a crowd of people, but there's a disciple of Jesus Christ that God used Kevin Hall to pour his life into. And that is the same command that you're given right here in Dalton, Georgia. You don't get out of it. We, we, we support missionaries so that they would go to Chile, go to Utah and other places where we can't go and make disciples. Acts 1.8 tells us to do it not in one place or the other, here or there, but both at the same time. So we're making disciples here. You're making disciples here. And we're also supporting and praying for, for people to go to places to the furthest ends of the earth and make disciples in those places as well. That's why we're starting a Bible Institute at Whitfield. We want to help train our people. We want people like Blaine that have surrendered to missions to get their Bible in them. Just another tool to help people in this church to grow up in the fullness of Christ. So as we close the message this evening, how do we follow our risen Lord? We respect his authority. We respond to the word go. And we recognize the job description that he's given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for your blessings. God, I pray that you please use your word. Speak to hearts. In Jesus' name.